Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. The United Kingdom is a great country. Never, never been a good bet to bet against America. Hi, hello and welcome. This is Mid-Atlantic, the podcast where we dive into the stories and the voices that shape our world. I'm your host, Royfield Brown. Today, we're embarking on a journey through time, exploring the vibrant and courageous history of gay rights in the US of A. In this episode, we are incredibly honoured to welcome a distinguished guest. It's Kevin Jennings, a name synonymous with advocacy and progress in the LGBTQ plus community. As a leader of Lambda, Kevin has been at the forefront of the fight for equality, championing the rights and the dignity of the LGBTQ plus community with unfavoring dedication. Today, we're unraveling the history and the struggles and the triumphs that have defined gay rights and its movement in the US of A. From the Stonewall riots to the landmark Supreme Court rulings, from the harrowing days of the AIDS crisis to the ongoing battles for transgender rights, we explore how the courage and resilience of individuals like Kevin have shaped a more inclusive and just society. There are a lot of kids here. And if we catch you with a homosexual, the rest of your life will be a living hell. And you will be caught. Don't think you won't be caught. Somehow being gay was the most terrible thing you could possibly be. I, I just didn't understand that. The CBS News Public Opinion Survey indicates that sentiment is against permitting homosexual relationships without legal punishment. People talk about being in and out now. There was no out. There was just in. It was as if they were identifying a thing. It's faggot. It's sissy. Queer. The Stonewall Bar was right in the center of where we all were. We were at the back of the room. The police started coming in, uh, raiding the bar. First police officer that came in with our group said, the place is under arrest. When you exit, have some identification. This time they said, we're not going. That's it. We're not going. Something snapped. It's like, what? This is not right. And then more police came. All of a sudden, pandemonium broke loose. 
mean, this was the Rosa Parks moment, the time that gay people stood up and said no. Kevin, uh, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much for having me on. First off, you can have to tell me all about Lambda. 50% of our listeners are British. They might not be aware of the organization. What is it? Why did you join? Tell us all about the organization. Lambda Legal is America's oldest legal advocacy group for the LGBTQ plus community and everyone living with HIV. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary last year. We were founded in 1973. And Lambda Legal uses what's called impact litigation to advance rights. Essentially, we bring lawsuits in the courts that are designed to secure greater rights for LGBTQ plus people and everyone living with HIV. We're probably most famous for being co-counsel in Obergefell versus Hodges, which was the 2015 Supreme Court decision that granted marriage equality to same-sex couples in the United States. But Lambda's history goes back much further than that. For example, in 1983, we were part of the first lawsuit to win protections for people living with HIV. In 2003, we were the counsel in the lawsuit at the Supreme Court, Lawrence versus Texas, which abolished so-called sodomy laws, which criminalized same-sex relationships in America. So we've been fighting the good fight for 51 years now, and we have the receipts to show that we're effective. You've been fighting the fight for some 51 years uh, at Lambda Legal, but also you've been involved in and around politics, American politics, for quite some time. You had a tenure with one Barack Obama in his administration. Tell us a little bit about that before we talk about the history of civil rights pertaining to, to gay men and women in the United States. Sure. So I was very fortunate to be the LGBT finance chair for the Obama campaign in 2008. And when the president won, he asked me to come to Washington to be an assistant secretary of education with the specific goal of doing something to reduce bullying in American schools. And we set up a program called StopBullying.gov. The president keynoted a conference at the White House on bullying prevention. And I'm proud to say that when we left office in 2016, bullying was at the lowest point since it had started being recorded in American history in our schools. So we showed the government can make a difference. Then, quite frankly, our successor came in and showed the government can make a difference in the opposite direction by legitimizing bullying. And in fact, hate crimes against in American schools now are at an all-time high. So it's very disappointing to see the reversal of the progress we achieved under President Obama. But it is hopeful to remember that when we set our mind to it, we can make a difference. Absolutely. When I think of civil rights, I think when most people think of civil rights and civil rights within the sphere of American society, they think of the struggle of African-Americans. Why is it, do you think, that gay civil rights isn't even just relegated to an afterthought? People just don't think of it in the same way. I think that America has such an incredibly ugly history around race. Essentially, white people came to this continent, wiped out one group of people of color, Native Americans, and then imported a second group of people of color to do all the work for them. So we have a very ugly history in this country, including almost 300 years of slavery, followed by 100 years of segregation. So it would be obvious to me as a former high school history teacher why people would often think about the struggle for racial equality first, because that has been such a predominant theme in American history, really since the arrival of white people. But I also think that people don't realize how far back the struggle for LGBT equality goes. In fact, the first law 
criminalizing same-sex relationships in America was passed in Massachusetts Bay in 1642. So this legacy of oppression of LGBTQ plus people goes back four centuries. And the fight for equality goes back exactly a century. In 1924, the first LGBTQ plus rights group in American history was founded in Chicago, the Society for Human Rights. So LGBTQ plus people have experienced a lot of oppression, but for a century, LGBTQ plus people have been fighting back. So it's a very hopeful story. When Lambda League was founded in 1973, being gay was still a mental illness for which you could be put in a mental institution against your will. Being gay was a crime in 43 states in America. Hostility towards gay people was so deep that our application to be a charity was turned down by the state of New York who said that our purpose was neither benevolent nor charitable. So we had to sue. We were our own first client. We had to sue for our right to exist. So I hope that despite the challenging environment in which we find ourselves today, people will look at LGBTQ plus history and feel inspired and hopeful because it's an incredible story of how a group of people who had been oppressed for centuries came together, organized, fought back, and made enormous progress. Let's go back to the very founding of your country. In 1778, uh, Lieutenant Gotthold Frederick Enslin in the Continental United, oh, sorry, in the Continental Army, becomes the first documented member to be dismissed for homosexuality. What do we know about him? It's very interesting that you should cite Lieutenant Enslin, which is a little known story. He was actually dismissed by General Washington, our first president at Valley Forge, which was one of the darkest days of Americans' struggle for independence. So, yes, this type of oppression dates back over two centuries. And Lieutenant Enslin was a actually a German immigrant, and he was caught in the act of uh, making love to another man, and he was expelled from the military for doing that. And over the course of American history, we know that over 100,000 people have been expelled from our military for being LGBTQ+. And in fact, it was not only until 2011 when my former boss, President Obama, enacted uh, a new law that LGBTQ plus people were allowed to serve openly in the American military. Then under President Trump, he tried to once again ban the service of openly trans people. I'm very proud that Lambda Legal went to court and was able to block that hateful effort on his part. But it is still uh, a bone of contention in American society as it has been since Lieutenant Enslin was expelled in 1778. I found this whole history utterly fascinating. I look at these dates, 1924, the Society for Human Rights, the first gay rights organization is founded by Henry Gerber in Chicago. If there is such a prohibition on homosexuality and homosexuals, how do they even, how exactly did he pull together this organization if society would have been so against homosexuality and there were laws in so many different states, how exactly in that type of environment do you pull together the human rights society? It's actually a very sad story because, as you just pointed out, it was illegal to be gay in all 50 states in 1924. And when the authorities got wind of the Society for Human Rights, they arrested Mr. Gerber and some of his other founders and they broke up the society. So they were operating under unbelievably hostile conditions. You're completely right. Uh, for your British listeners, you might know about something called Polari, which was a 
language literally developed by gay men in Britain in the 19th and 20th centuries so that they could communicate in front of straight people without straight people knowing what they were saying. The LGBTQ plus community is a very resilient and creative community, which has found a way, even in the midst of this incredible hostility and oppression, to find ways to come together. And I love the example of Polari, which I didn't learn about until I lived in the UK, because literally people invented a language just so they could talk to one another. After the Second World War, we seem to have a, a plethora of organizations, and and then we lead all the way to Stonewall. But if we just go back, let's say maybe a decade, let's say 1950, to the Mattacine, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, society, one of the first sustained gay right groups in the United States, and then let's say the Daughters of Belitis. Talk about those organizations and how foundational, let's say, they were in terms of getting a voice for gay Americans before we, we end up with, I think, the, the one incident that most people have at least heard of, which is going to be the Stonewall riots in the late 60s. It's a great question, Royfield. And um, I wrote a book in 1994, 30 years ago, for young people on LGBTQ plus history called Becoming Visible. And in that book, I said there are two laws of LGBTQ plus history. Law one is the more visible we are, the more we are attacked. What happened in the post-war era was America mobilized literally tens of millions of people to fight in the war. And you have to remember that in 1940, 60% of Americans lived in towns of 10,000 or fewer people. And if you were an LGBTQ plus person living in that environment, it was pretty awful. You probably felt pretty isolated, pretty alone. But in the military, you met other people like yourselves. And when you were brought back and disembarked and discharged in New York or Boston or San Francisco or Los Angeles or Seattle, you had a choice. Do you want to go back to that little town where you felt so low? Or are you going to stay here in the big city? And people stayed in the big cities. So there was an explosion in the size of LGBTQ plus communities in the post-war era, which leads us to the attack. As these communities became more visible, right-wing people became more alarmed. Senator McCarthy started witch hunts not only for suspected communists, but for suspected homosexuals. This became known as the Lavender Scare. The Red Scare referred to the hunts for communists, the Lavender Scare for the hunts for LGBTQ plus people. And we know that thousands of people were expelled from military service and that President Eisenhower signed an executive order in 1953 banning the employment of so-called known perverts by the federal government or federal contractors. The last elements of that executive order, by the way, would not be repealed until President Clinton did so in the 1990s. So it was on the books for over 40 years. But law two of LGBTQ plus history, if law one is the more visible we are, the more we get attacked, which is what happened in the McCarthy era, the more we are attacked, law two, the more people organize and fight back. And that led to the foundation of the first permanent LGBTQ plus rights groups in American history in the 1950s in California. As you mentioned, the Mattachine Society, which was started in 1951 in Los Angeles by Harry Hay. And the Daughters of Belitis, the first lesbian rights organization founded by Phyllis Lyon and Del Martin in San Francisco in 1955. So LGBTQ plus people seem to go through cycles in American history. We become visible. We are attacked. We fight back. We make progress. Now, one of the things that was common in the 1950s and 60s was the police would come into gay bars, rough up the patrons, extort them for money, and there was very little the patrons could do because it was still illegal to be gay. But 
Even before Stonewall, people were fighting back. There was a Latino drag performer named Jose Sadia, who lived in San Francisco, who repeatedly saw the police coming into the bars where she was performing and uh, roughing up the patrons. So in 1961, Jose Sadia did something that no one had ever done before in American history. Jose ran for office as an out gay person. He ran to be a member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 1961. If there's another name that people probably know from LGBTQ plus history, it's Harvey Milk, the man who won that office in 1978. And now it's important to recognize that he was preceded by 17 years by a Latino drag queen. And when the Stonewall event happened in 1969, the police came into a bar in New York. They started roughing up the patrons and the patrons fought back and drove the police out. And uh, among the leaders in that movement were trans women of color like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. She was fondly known as St. Marsha, a central figure in New York City's gay liberation movement, a model for artist Andy Warhol. Marsha P. Johnson wore many hats, sometimes literally. They call me Marsha Payne, no mind Johnson. I try and pay a lot of little things that happen to me in life. Absolutely no mind. Assigned male at her 1945 birth in Elizabeth, New Jersey, Johnson started wearing clothes made for girls when she was five, but felt pressured to stop after being sexually assaulted by a 13-year-old boy. As soon as she graduated from high school, she fled across the Hudson River to New York City with just $15 and a bag of clothes. There, she dressed as she pleased. Cross-dressing was a crime in New York State, and Johnson was sometimes arrested simply for wearing makeup Often unable to find a job and without a permanent residence, she turned to sex work. Johnson really enjoyed performing in drag. Even though the bohemian enclave of Greenwich Village, where Johnson lived, was the focal point of the city's gay life, police still routinely raided gay bars there. During a late-night June 1969 raid on the Stonewall Inn, patrons fought back. Johnson, who was 23 at the time, has wrongly been credited with throwing the first brick of the uprising. Johnson may not have started the Stonewall riot, but for decades to come, she was a key player in the LGBTQ plus rights movement that it sparked. During the AIDS crisis that Johnson helped spread awareness and raise money, she looked after sick friends even as she struggled with her own mental illness and became HIV positive herself. In 1992, Johnson's body was pulled from the Hudson River. She was 46 years old. And if I die, I hope nobody cried either. I get up and dance, party, and have a good time. <laughs> and what basically happened in 1969 was the community's patience just snapped. People were saying, we are tired of being treated like this. We will not be treated like this anymore. And that led to so-called gay liberation in the 1970s and the creation of groups like Lambda Legal, and the advancement we have seen in LGBTQ plus rights since that decade. So I know we're at the 70s, but I want to go back to 1962, because Illinois is going to become the first state to decriminalize homosexual acts between two consenting adults in private. And you've talk- And Stonewall obviously happens in New York. She's coastal. We've talked about Harvey Milk and, the, and Jose, the trans-Latino dancer, drag dancer, and that's California. Why is it that the first state to decriminalize is actually a Midwestern one? It's a really interesting question you asked there because there's tremendous bias by the people who live on the coast of America 
They refer to the middle of America as flyover states because the only time they see them is when they fly over them to go to Los Angeles and come back to New York. But the so-called flyover states have often played a leading role in American LGBTQ plus history. For example, as we mentioned earlier, the Society for Human Rights, the first LGBTQ plus rights organization in American history, was started in Chicago and Illinois. Illinois was the first state to decriminalize same-sex relationships in 1962. Wisconsin, neighboring state to Illinois, was the first state to ban discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation in 1982, and in 2012 became the first state to elect an out LGBTQ plus person, Tammy Baldwin, to the U.S. Senate. So we need to break down this stereotype that the coast of the good places and the middle of the country is a bad place. Because in actuality, when you look at a lot of the milestones in LGBTQ plus history, they happened in places like Illinois and Wisconsin and other places that don't immediately leap to mind, perhaps, in the way that, say, San Francisco does. Obviously, the 1980s brings with it AIDS. How does that affect activists and the movement and the struggle for equality? I'm 60, so we're now getting to the era of history in which I participated, and it would be hard to explain the devastation that AIDS wrought on the LGBTQ plus community, gay men specifically, BIPOC gay men especially. Over 500,000 American gay men died of HIV AIDS. More gay men died in the city of New York alone between 1981 and 1995 than the entire number of Americans who died in the Vietnam War. So this was literally a decimation of our community. And in the 80s and early 90s, the fight really became just to survive. And this is where the LGBTQ plus movement owes a lot of its inspiration to the black civil rights movement, because there was a group formed in New York, which I'm very proud to say I was a member of, called ACT UP, the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power. And it borrowed the nonviolent civil disobedience techniques pioneered by Martin Luther King and his mentor, an openly gay black man named Bayard Rustin, back in the 50s and 60s. And through using nonviolent civil disobedience and doing things like seizing the stock market at the opening bell, ACT UP forced society to focus on this problem and forced the government to spend money on research and care so that by the late 90s, there were now treatments available and uh, AIDS became a manageable disease. But for people my age, uh, the first guy I ever dated died, my college roommate died, I, I could go on. We literally saw our generation almost wiped out by AIDS. And it's important to recognize the, I can never forgive the Reagan administration for their inaction. Ronald Reagan is remembered by some people very fondly today. Uh, he's not remembered fondly by the LGBTQ plus community because for the first six years of the AIDS epidemic, he didn't even say the word AIDS in public. In fact, his press secretary was caught on a mic saying, what is the miracle of AIDS? It turns fruits into vegetables. So the government hostility towards gay men in particular and their refusal to invest in treatment and care and research in those early years is why half a million people died. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a massive hypocrisy with, with Reagan because on he was actually good friends with Rock Hudson and actually personally... He, he was uh, very liberal about homosexuality, but he knew that part of his coalition, his base, would not go along with that. So he, he decided for political expediency to uh, whitewash the problem. And uh, we, we had, as you said, terrible numbers in the United States of men that died of the disease because of that presidential inaction. 
The 1990s, uh, we have Clinton, Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and then that's going to lead to the 2000s, where then we have se- uh, same-sex marriage. The struggle is over. There's no nothing more to rail about. You've reached the promised land, surely. That's certainly what we all hoped in 2015 when Land Illegal won Obergefell versus Hodges and marriage equality became the law of our land. And then we built on that victory in 2020 in a Supreme Court decision called Bostock versus Clayton County when the government, which had once mandated discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity, came out and said it was illegal to fire people based on their sexual orientation, their gender identity. Unfortunately, remember law one of LGBTQ plus history. The more visible we are, the more we are attacked. Our opponents did not go away. And they are busily trying to roll back the progress we have made right now. As of this morning, in America today, 429 anti-LGBTQ plus bills have been introduced into 40 states in this country. There is a massive effort to roll back our rights happening right now. It is very well funded. It is very well organized. And quite frankly, we right now at Lambda Legal, we are the LGBTQ plus community's last line of defense. Unfortunately, extreme conservatives control 29 state legislatures in America, which means they can pretty much pass whatever they want. No matter how hateful it is, they can pass it. So the only hope is can Lambda Legal get it struck down in court, which is why we have over 70 lawsuits going in 30 different states right now. It's a very trying time. I was talking with one of our supporters recently who was in his 70s. And he said something to me that just broke my heart. He said, Kevin, I didn't think at this point in my life I'd still be having to fight this hard. And that is indeed where we are. I think that we, 10 years ago, felt that perhaps we were turning a corner. And unfortunately, the fight is we're back in the thick of it. And we could sadly see a lot of the progress we've made eroded by this extreme conservative attack on our rights. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Mm. On both sides of the Atlantic, but much more in the United States, there is a culture war, um, which is apparently left and right. It's coastal, it's urban versus rural, et cetera, et cetera. 
within the framing of the culture wars, generally, and maybe this is me with my heterosexual bloopers on, homosexuality and the rights of gay men, gay women, transgender. Actually, no. I'm going to rephrase that because I've just tripped into it. Gay men, gay women aren't part of that culture war. That are those are people using transgender Americans as a gateway for attacking the rest of the LGBTQ plus community? Absolutely. Essentially, what they are doing is they are starting with trans rights, but they have an ultimate goal of repealing marriage and reinstituting criminal sanctions for same-sex relationships. The man who wrote the Texas abortion ban, which has become very notorious, has already announced that his next goal is to overturn Lawrence versus Texas, land legal's 2003 Supreme Court victory, which voided sodomy laws in this country. So they are very clear about where they want to go. They want to drag us back to the 1950s. They want to erase the existence of trans people. They are literally passing laws now that forbid trans people from changing their documents to reflect their accurate gender identity. And they're going to take that all the way back to reinstituting laws that criminalize same-sex relationships if they get their way. And I've got bad news for them. We've been here for 51 years. We're going nowhere, and we are not going to let this happen. If you're in the audience, you can ask a question to Kevin. And I'm going to quickly say this for the people in the audience and for the 2,000 plus people that download the podcast, 3,000 plus people that download the podcast every episode, which comes to a, a princely sum around 20,000 downloads a month. We now have a YouTube channel. It's very small. It still needs a watering and pruning for it to grow. But please uh, type into the YouTube's Mid-Atlantic Podcast. Go onto our channel. Please subscribe. We, what you will see there are not the panel shows that I do, but the long-form interviews like this. Please come along and join. I would love to have you there. So if you are in the audience, and there's a few people in the audience, if you'd like to ask Kevin a question, you can do either come off mic and or do the digital thumbs up. And uh, you can ask a question to Kevin Jennings of Lambda Legal. Don't be shy. I used to be a teacher, and I can tell you that the first person to raise their hand is always the bravest. Guta, you win that award for today's class. You are the bravest of the students. Go for it, Guta. Thank you. Thank you so much for the compliment. I'm actually very insecure. <laughs> right, your notes. Uh, and I actually, Rafia took the liberty to write some information on the LGBTQ situation in Latin America and specifically more Brazil, because I think being the biggest represents what happens all over. And one thing that I don't know if I exactly have a question, but one thing I feel, and that's not isolated only in Latin America, like I used to think it was, right, in terms of being conservative, you have the Catholic Church as a base, now you have the new Episcopal people and all that. But you can see in all the places where these far-right governments are taking over and where their narrative is growing, we are losing a lot of uh, freedoms and rights and space, okay? And, and even here in Europe, I'm based in Ireland, which has a great 
program at St. James Hospital for HIV-positive people, and it's all sponsored by the government. But the hostility and the speech, and when you hear young people of 20, 22, 18 year olds saying things like, oh, this thing about not being a man, being a woman, this is bullshit. And these people are men. And these are young people, mm-hmm. right? It's scary. that they, I'm missing the word in English. When things go backwards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But my feeling I have and I feel and I see is that the conservatives, the rights, the religions have taken possession of gender and sexuality and even reproduction rights, narratives and debate to weaponize to win electoral campaigns. Not even that it's really like an atomic bomb when they are losing space. So I it's not I don't know if it's exactly a question, but would be interested to comment on this and how we are losing grounds. And not only this, Brazil has a wonderful system. It's called the, the health, public health SUS. And you can even do transgender surgery through the government in Brazil. Okay. HIV medication for free. It's amazing. And they are cutting all that out. It's that's my to comment. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> thank you. And it's so nice meeting you. <laughs> thank you, Guta. Um, the work for Barclay. You are absolutely right. We are in the midst of a global backlash against LGBTQ plus rights that is not unique to the UK or the United States. And it is a coordinated effort around the world to roll back the rights we have won. I'll give you a very specific example. Last year, Uganda passed its Anti-Homosexuality Act, which actually makes what they call aggravated homosexuality a capital crime again, and you can be executed. We are really seeing an effort to push us backwards, and the United States is not immune. As of this morning, we have had 318 anti-LGBTQ plus laws introduced into 31 different state legislatures. And in fact, a lot of states aren't even back yet because they don't resume their legislative sessions in January. So we know that number is going to skyrocket as the year goes on. In a lot of ways, we are living through the scariest time since the 1980s. That after many years of making rapid progress, we are now seeing a tremendous effort to push us backwards. And what they essentially want to do is to erase LGBTQ plus people. What they have now passed in six states in the United States, and they are looking to pass in many more, are what we call don't say gay or don't say trans laws, which literally prohibit the discussion of LGBTQ plus issues in schools. So students would learn none of the history we talked about today. Students who had LGBTQ plus parents could not talk about their family. Students who are LGBTQ plus could not come out of the closet. They're looking to literally erase our existence like we were never here. And that's why it's so important that we know this history, because people need to understand that there have always been LGBTQ plus people. There always will be. And the only question we face as a society is, are we going to treat everyone with humanity Or are we going to persecute others? That's the only question. LGBTQ plus people aren't going anywhere. The only question is how we're going to be treated by society. And I'll say one more thing, Guta. There's a reason authoritarianism is never good for LGBTQ plus people. 
Because what authoritarian leaders do is they find groups to scapegoat, to blame for all of the problems in society, and they whip other people into a hysteria against them. That's exactly what Putin has done in Russia. I was executive producer on a documentary called Welcome to Chechnya, which documented the fact that the Chechen government, which is one of the Russian republics, has literally been rounding LGBTQ plus people up and putting them in prison camps. And the reality is this is tried and true effort of authoritarian leaders. They pick disenfranchised groups, LGBTQ plus people, immigrants, religious minorities, and they whip people into a frenzy around the supposed threat that these groups represent in order to consolidate their power. And whether it is Putin in Russia or Museveni in Uganda or Orban in Hungary or, frankly, Trump in the United States, we are seeing this phenomenon repeat across the globe. John, you have your hand up. Yeah, thank you. I I think my my comment, question, whatever it is, uh, piggybacks on Guta's quite nicely because I was curious about a phenomenon that I have some personal acquaintance with, which has to do with the kind of right-wingization of of mainstream, when, for instance, when blacks become mainstream, when fake gays become mainstream, uh, there is a tendency for them to become really mainstream and support Donald Trump and the right wing and so on. And I have a particular acquaintance with a guy who you may know of from San Francisco. I used to play in a band with a guy named Conan, who actually wrote a uh, song called Tell Old Anita at the time of the Anita Bryant thing. And he was, he was a, I had never really had an encounter myself as a straight man with somebody, and he and his partner, who were so openly gay and so active in the movement. But they've since become devout Christians, moved to Florida, and are probably among the strongest Trump supporters that I know. And I don't know, it's an interaction, obviously, between the Christianity and maybe the, the right-wingization that may have come from somewhere else. But it is, I think it's very much like Guto was talking about. It's very, I, I haven't, I, I don't understand how they fail, Conan and his partner fail to see what they are supporting and the, and the effects on their community, or maybe they don't consider it their community. I obviously can't, not knowing these individuals, can't speak to their specific case, but there's a term for this. It's called respectability politics, which is if, and this is often encouraged of disenfranchised groups, that if they just show how much they can be like the dominant group, they'll be accepted. And that never really works. Malcolm X once said, what do you call a black man with a PhD from Harvard? The N-word. Because as we've just seen at Harvard by alma mater, we've seen a black president pushed out of the presidency there. If your acceptance is based on how much you're like the dominant group, then whenever you show your uniqueness, you're going to be persecuted. So respectability politics, which some people think is the road to liberation, never is. Um, What we're fighting for is not a world where everybody can be alike, but a world where everybody can be themselves. And that world should be one where people, regardless of their identity, feel safe to be themselves. We're celebrating, as I mentioned last year, Lambda Legal's 50th anniversary. And I started asking people, where do you want us to be in 50 years? And the best answer I got was somebody who said, I want the notion of coming out to have disappeared because people were always free to be whoever they were. 
and they didn't need to come out as gay or lesbian or bisexual or trans because they were always free to be themselves. And that's the world we're fighting for at Land Illegal, not a world where we're all alike, but a world where we're all celebrated for our uniqueness. We have a very slight philosophical difference here, Kevin, around respectability politics. It's not by accident that the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom is non-white, but he's a conservative. It's not by accident. And as somebody who comes from an an immigrant family in the UK, I see it in part, not wholly, but in part, a community has got some level of acceptance when traditionally the forces of conservatism or reaction accept them. And as somebody who my parents came to the UK in the early 1960s, and up until at least the mid-90s, there were hardly any black MPs or brown MPs in the UK. Then in the 2010 election, I think then it was 15%, it lurched up, that as, as much as my politics is not at all conservative, I do see that there is an acceptance of openly gay MPs on the conservative side in British politics. And I see that as some level of a wider societal recognition. That is not to say that I don't actually agree with your central point about respectability politics, because I'm a total lefty. But I appreciate that a generation ago or so, there is utterly no way in British politics, and I'm not talking about gay politics, I'm talking the politics of colour, that it was the left that championed recent immigrants to the UK. But it's the acceptance on the conservative side that Britons can be not only black and brown, but gay. And then they're in the gap cabinet and in, 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 in government. And that's massively symbolic. Every country has its unique history. And that's really important to recognize that it's been fascinating to me as a former UK resident that the only person of color who's ever been a prime minister in Britain was a Tory that the only women who've ever been prime minister have been Tories. We have a very different history in the United States. Our only president of color was Democrat, which is our center-left party. The only woman who ever got the nomination to run for president, Hillary Clinton, was from the center-left party. And our first woman vice president, who's also a biracial person, is Kamala Harris, who also goes to the Democratic Party. So it's been we have a very different history, although it is interesting to look at President Trump right now his main rival within the Republican Party is Nikki Haley, who is a American woman of South Asian descent. So maybe our conservatives are starting to catch up to your Tories when they're starting to consider folks like Nikki Haley. But one thing that is very different in the United States that from Britain is social issues seem to have gotten weaponized in the United States to a much greater degree than they've been weaponized in Britain. We call these the culture wars. Things like homosexuality, things like the right of women to control their own bodies, things like that, which are non-issues in Britain in fundamental ways, are very salient political issues in the United States. So I want to recognize that I'm speaking very much from an American context, and that the UK obviously has its own history, which is very different. Totally a fair point. And in general, say it goes to the heart of the reason why I actually do this podcast. I'm fascinated about the differences between our two cultures uh, historically and politically, considering they share 
in large part the same route. And you're right, we don't have, we have it to a degree, but not anywhere near what you have in the United States, the weaponization of, of the cultural wars, of wokeism. Yes, we have it a little bit, but it's not as ingrained. And we have a different sensibility around um, homosexuality. We have a different sensibility around race. It's not to say that it's better, not to say that it's worse, but it's very slightly different. And that manifests itself in, in different ways. Scotty, uh, n- now is your time, sir. And thank you for the lovely things you've said in the chat. Roy Phil, it's great to see you. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. I can't believe I'm on a Zoom. Remarkable. I, as part of the LGBT community, I have two kind of worries, and I'm wondering if you share these worries, Kevin. One is, and they are concerns and fears within our own community, that is of complacency on two fronts. Complacency on the political front, where... Some of us, probably the younger generations, particularly Gen Z, maybe even millennial, feel that they've seen a lot of progress in the last, say, 20 years with LGBT rights, with gay marriage in particular, and seeing, all right, we don't really have to fight for anything so we can choose, let's say, another political party. They don't feel that the, these policies and these laws can be rolled back. That complacency is a fear of mine because I know they can be rolled back and we can go backwards. The other complacency is the other front, which I'm really worried about, is that HIV and AIDS is still a thing. And although, again, we've had significant progress with medications, with uh, not only on the PrEP side, the pre-exposure, but also if you do get HIV, you can live a long, healthy life if you take the medicines. And I'm wondering if you see there's also complacency where, hey, we don't have to stay protected because if we do get HIV, we have these pills. But what I'm also seeing is that people don't understand that if they get HIV and they do not take the pills, for example, it is the same AIDS that has ravaged us back in the 80s and 90s. And people seem to not understand that AIDS is still there. And if you do not take the medicines, it will be the same AIDS. And sometimes you can't get caught back up with just taking the medicines after you get sick again and maybe too late. So I'm wondering if you're seeing this on both of these fronts. And thank you again. Really wonderful questions. I'm going to take the second one first. Uh, what is really disturbing right now is an effort by the part of conservatives, which we are fighting, to claim what they call our religious exemptions to non-discrimination laws. We prefer to call these licenses to discriminate, which is what they are. They want to not have to be constrained from discriminating based on sexual orientation or gender identity because they feel that it's their religious belief that justifies such discrimination. The way this pertains to HIV is there's a case working its way through the courts right now where a private employer has asked to exclude AIDS medications from their healthcare plan, arguing that uh, they disapprove of homosexuality, as if only homosexuals get AIDS, which is not true, and they shouldn't have to cover the uh, medical costs for these sinners who got themselves sick. So we could go backwards on HIV very quickly in this country, and unfortunately we do not have the NHS in the United States, So not everyone has health insurance. So not everyone has access to PrEP or to antiretroviral drugs. There are still thousands of people dying from AIDS every year in this country. 
because they don't have access to the wonderful medications that were developed. And if the right wing gets its way, they're going to amend insurance policy so that fewer and fewer people have access to these medications. Now, to go back to your first question, I actually don't see quite the same phenomenon around age. I find that what is really motivating our younger supporters right now is the issue of gender identity. They're really horrified by the anti-trans attacks that are going on, and they're very fired up and very mobilized to fight back against that. Whereas I see some people my age who have assimilated and they've gotten married and they're living in an accepting community like San Francisco and New York, and they feel like, oh, we're safe. We don't need to worry about it. So I actually think that both apathy and enthusiasm cut pretty equally across the different generations. For somebody like me who remembers AIDS and remembers Anita Bryant, uh, I'm very aware that things can get rolled back because I've seen it happen before. And I'm determined to not let that happen on my watch at Lambda Legal. But I think for a lot of young people right now, they're really enraged that there is this massive tidal wave of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. Young people walking out of their schools because they're angry about don't say gay or trans laws. So I'm not quite as pessimistic about the next generation. I think that we're going to be okay. Dave. You know what, Kevin, you are so good at this, aren't you? You come out as the guest, and then you're hosting this thing too. You continue, oh, sorry, sir. I'm sorry. just going to kick back. If you can handle teenagers for 10 years, you can handle adults. They're easy. Kevin, I appreciate you you being here. I took a class in 1996. I was a freshman at the University of Texas at Austin. I had a professor, an associate professor. He was pretty young, a guy that would go on to be pretty accomplished, John Corvino in gay rights. He wrote a book on debating religious liberties. I wanted to ask, you have this both sides of the Atlantic perspective on multiple cultures, and we have 50 different states in the United States. The religious folks seem to have weaponized and done some jujitsu with the, the law here in Texas on abortion to make it like a private option to turn in your neighbor. It's really sinister. And I was hoping that you could talk about RIFRA and some of the, the worst things to see on our, our radar screen for not just the LGBT community, just the use of, but but actually, yes, not obviously your expertise is in there, but the RIFRA and, and how it, it essentially erodes religious and, and all liberties in its uh, constitutional form to become a weapon and not a shield. Yes. So for people who are not familiar with that term, RIFRA refers to what's called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act which is a piece of legislation that would grant these licenses to discriminate that we've just talked about. And the Texas abortion ban, which, by the way, has been copied, Dave, uh, the same private right of action on behalf of individual citizens that you have in Texas around abortion, you now have in Florida with regard to the don't say gay or trans law. So they are literally empowering people to be legal vigilantes. Because you actually get paid in Texas a bonus if you report somebody who had an abortion. That's a vigilantism. There's no other way to describe it. And it's very disturbing to me personally that the man who wrote the Texas abortion ban has already announced that his next goal is to overturn Lawrence versus Texas. So these people are determined to drag us back to the Stone Age if they get their way. I'll actually be in Austin on January 30th. We're going to court against uh, the governor and the attorney general who have tried to claim that parents who provide uh, appropriate health care to their trans children, known as gender-affirming care, are actually guilty of child abuse and that their children should be taken away from them. We have worked very hard to block that in court. 
and will be in court again on January 30th in Austin, and I'll be there for the arguments. It is very disturbing. moved away already from the state to Maryland uh, because they have twins, and one, one, anyway, gender-affirming parenting is effed up. I'll try to keep it clean, but sorry, it it is actually happening. If there's any way I can support you or just show up and shake your hand for the work you're doing. No, it's uh, great. I appreciate the support, but the fact of the matter is, A unique thing about the American system compared to Britain is the federal nature of the system and the fact that we have 50 states, all of which have their own legislatures and all of which can make their own laws. And extreme conservatives have what's called a supermajority in 19 states, which means even if the government governor is a liberal, they can override his veto or her veto. And they have a simple majority in an additional 10 states. So essentially in 29 states, they can pass whatever laws they feel like. And the only hope is can Lambda Legal strike them down in court? Uh, unfortunately, we can't stop the Texas state legislature from passing truly horrendous laws. But we can challenge them in court and we can beat them in court. And that's why Lambda Legal right now is litigating in 29 different states across America. We have our hands very full. Guta, if your question is a question and not a statement, and, a, and it's a really quick question, you can quickly ask it. And then, because I need to do wrap, because I do need to wrap up. So, do, is it quick, Guta? Go. Okay, it's very quick. It's about the hypocrisy and how you have and the trans community, because we are talking about the gay rights. And one thing that it's I actually wrote on the chat in Brazil, the biggest number of violent crimes are against trans women. As for trans men, it's only 3%. Even that way, there is some machismo. Well, I don't know what to call. And then my question is, how can we tackle something that is so embedded in people? What is the little thing we can do? As a mother of a gay son, HIV positive, okay, because... Guta, you nailed it. Let him answer. Let him answer, Guta. Let him answer. And write your website because everybody wants to make donations. We love donations. So it's lambdalegal.org. But to go back to your question, first of all, Guta, based on the raw numbers of murders, Brazil is the deadliest country in the world for trans people. It's number one. I don't want to say America's okay because we have our own problem with the same phenomena. And you're right, it's mainly trans women. Brazil has a real challenge. I always tell people you have four assets, your voice, your vote, your time, and your money. Your voice is, I worked in the Obama administration. I can tell you that they tally up every phone call they get every day in the White House, and they make a report to the chief of staff about how many were for the bills, how many were against the bills. So use your voice, speak up. Secondly, your vote. Make it clear to politicians you're only going to vote for pro-equality candidates. Your time, every nonprofit or NGO in the world depends upon people volunteering their time. It's even better if you have a special skill like you're a graphic designer because we can't afford to pay for those. So if you could donate your time and obviously donate your money, we have a very different system in the U.S. than you have in the U.K., 72% of uh, charitable budgets in America are funded by individuals. It really, in America, where our government is not very generous to NGOs, we really depend upon individual donors. 
So it's so important that people give their time, their money, raise their voice, and use their votes. And I want to specifically refer you to a wonderful organization that works with families of LGBTQ plus people called PFLAG. And it's pflag.org. They have chapters all over the world and they help families support their LGBTQ plus loved ones. Please check them out. I, I will donate my considerable heft when it comes to podcasting talents uh, and proclivities. If you need any of that, I'm your person. I'm your person. Now, Max, you are the person who's going to bring our shit home. So, Max, the time is yours. Okay. Hi, Kevin. Hello from the other side of the world. It's 2.30 a.m. So I've stayed up listening. Really quick question. I have not seen Dave Chappelle's latest show, The Dreamer, but I have seen The Closer and was wondering, how do you respond to some of the the criticism that the LGBT uh, rights movement has overshadowed the Black civil rights movement? And yep, thank you. I'm complete. I don't see this as a competition because the same people who are coming for voting rights, the same people who are coming for reproductive rights are the same people coming for LGBTQ plus rights. We need to unite because we all have the same opponent. And it's absolutely critical that we recognize, you know, the LGBTQ plus community contains black people. So if we're going to be effective in liberating LGBTQ plus people, we must also address racism. Because you can't liberate one part of somebody. You have to liberate the whole person. So I think all of these issues are connected. I think we need to join forces and we need to fight back together because the people who are trying to take us down, they want to divide and conquer. They want to pit immigrants against gays, against BIPOC people, against women. Uh, I call it the oppression Olympics. They want us to all compete to be the one who's the most oppressed. But the reality is we have much more in common and we need to work together because the black community contains LGBTQ plus people and the LGBTQ plus community contains black people. So we should be working together. Couldn't agree with you more. And thank you, Max. Great question. You've done this once or twice before, haven't you, Kevin? You, you, you've been interviewed before. You, you're, you're some part of a, a sterling advocate for a cause which is at the heart of humanity, as you said before. In every species, there is a level of homosexuality. It's through all of human recorded history. The very fact that in 2024, it's still an issue for which many people need to fight to be seen to be heard and to love however they want to love whomever regardless whether it's same sex it, it just boggles my mind as someone who's a student of history but you sir are a wonderful advocate we're so pleased to have you actually on on the show now because this is a podcast because it's been recorded you have to tell everybody exactly the organization where you're from how they can get in contact with the organization and how that can help you can go to lambda legal L-A-M-B-D-A legal.org learn more about what we do if you live in the United States we operate the only national LGBT legal help desk in the country so if you have experienced discrimination based on your sexual orientation your gender identity or your HIV status you can file a report with us and one of our lawyers will get back to you and then if you want to reach me personally we have the world's easiest email system first initial last name at lambdalegal.org so I'm Kay Jennings at LambdaLegal.org, and I'm the only person who reads my email and I answer them all. So feel free to write me directly. Can we have you back on again, sir? 
I would be delighted. Except I may insist that we do the next broadcast from London since it's one of my favorite cities in the world. Adore, I tell you what, it should be actually your favorite city in the world. As, as a proud Brit, I take, I, I'm, looking, I'm giving you side eye the fact you said it's one of. It should be your favorite. Amazing place. Next time, when you, next time you're over, we'll have a drink together, and it'll be a cup of tea, and we'll record it together. How's that sound? That sounds wonderful. I did learn to drink tea with uh, cream when I lived in London, so all Americans think I'm weird because we don't do that here. You know what? You should be an advocate for all the best English are British. Take it over there, evangelize about it, because you know what? People listen to you. Kevin Jennings, thank you for coming on to Mid Atlantic. You've been a most excellent guest. Thank you to the people who stayed with us all the way through this recording. Hopefully, you've got something out of it. Not only that the fight still continues, but also some of the rich history and the rich gay, lesbian, queer, bisexual history of the United States and how it's been integral to the forming of your somewhat imperfect but somewhat on paper perfect union which is the United States it's an important and integral part of the struggle of Americans to be seen and to be heard say this at the end of every show left to center politics is right thinking politics you can join me on our YouTube channel Mid-Atlantic Podcast get over there you'll see this interview over there and thank you to everybody who's continued to download the podcast. I've been Morphe Brown. Take care. Look out to yourselves. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.